Hey, Rachel. Hello, Brian. So how was your week? So remember when Dionne Warwick used to host the Psychic Friends Network? Yes, I'm old enough to remember that. Yes, it was. It left a big impression well, on me. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if she could have predicted that in 2020, in the midst of a global pandemic and an attempted coup, that she would emerge as the internet's biggest star. She really is. She really, I don't know how that happened. I think we should call 1-900-PSYCHIC-FRIENDS to find out what's next in the future. I wonder if she's still on call. Operators are standing by. Okay, we're going to talk about she's that in more. <laughs> Serpent Tessa. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're going to dig into that soon. Uh, this is Nope. The podcast where we shut it down. Is no, my sign is no, my number is no. You need to let it go, you need to let it go, need to let it go. Okay, Rachel, do you, you got to give a little background about this uh, Dionne Warwick frenzy that's been going on? Who would have thought out of all the out of all the stars to reemerge? Thank God this happened in 2020 because this year has been such a wash and it's like, you know, this is the the light we needed at the end of the tunnel. She's causing a sensation with her spicy tweets and she gave this great interview this week with the New York Times that basically said she was bored just like the rest of us in the middle of COVID and now this is how she's interacting with people on Twitter and I applaud her and her niece. I got to give a shout out to her niece. Brittany Warwick, which is different than Warwick. And I, I guess she must have changed her name for stage purposes. But Brittany followed me on Twitter today. Ooh. Or, yes, exactly. And and um, she taught her auntie Dion how to use the platform. So kudos to Brittany. And she was triggered by Chance the Rapper, right? Anything with the in it, The Weeknd, Chance the Rapper, and they're actually like recording a song together, I think. So anyway, um, we're very excited for this week's Nope, because we have a very special guest, Alana Levinson, the deputy editor of Mel Magazine, which focuses on men and modern masculinity. This is a subject of great national import. And we'll be talking more about Mel later. But for now, Alana is going to jump in with us on the Nopes, because it's been quite a week. So well. Welcome, Alana. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. Hi, it is welcome. great to have you. <laughs> All right, we're eager to get your it's hot that, takes yeah. uh, oh, on the world right, yeah. of masculinity and otherwise. Take that back. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, this week... It's a we lot happening. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we thought we had good news, which is that the Electoral <laughs> College met, and it's official. Joe Biden will be the president come January 20th. And even today, yes. that scumbag Mitch McConnell acknowledged, he actually said, President-elect Biden. But, you know, even that... So there was word that he was pleading with uh, Congress people and senators not to challenge the Electoral College when Congress meets to whatever certify, double, triple certify the results on January 6th, and not because he believes in the results, just he doesn't want to look stupid if there is like a revolt in the ranks, because that's the number one thing that he dreads the most in life is not having control of everybody. Still, not surprising, there are a few diehards who will not get off. I was going to say they won't get off the sinking ship, but it's, it's a sunk ship. It's like a shipwreck at the bottom of the ocean. It's underwater. It is fully underwater with no sunken treasure on board. This is like the Japanese soldier who like was on an island and didn't know the war was over and like wouldn't concede defeat once he was discovered. Um, oh, like in 1972. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. World War II is still on. <laughs> so there's still these diehards. And um, this came to our attention. And I just just have to read this quote from Senator Ted Kramer of North Dakota. Who even knew there was a Ted Kramer from North Dakota? I know there's a Jim Kramer who I used to work for, but no, there's a Ted Kramer. And here's what he said. Well, it's this is a little bit long, but it's there's a payoff. Well, it seems to me that— Wait, being isn't a, it Kevin Kramer? Oh, yeah. Why did I write Ted Kramer? No. Yeah, it is Kevin, Kevin Kramer. Kramer. Right, but that's why I didn't recognize him. It's not like I know Kevin Kramer so well either. I, I don't know. I was like, wait. But anyway, go on. Wait, it's Kevin McCarthy? No, it's Kevin Kramer. Okay, Senator. Well, it seems Kevin to me Kramer. it seems to me that being elected by the Electoral College is a threshold where a title like that is probably most appropriate. And it's, I suppose you can say official, if there is such a thing as official president-elect or anything else-elect. And there's an inauguration that will swear somebody in, and that person will be the president of the United States. But whether you call it that or not, you know, there are legal challenges that are ongoing. Not very many, probably not a 
remedy that would change the outcome. But so I don't again, I don't know how a politician refers to another politician, but it does look to me like the big race is really between the inaugural committee and the Justice Department at this point. So we'll see how the emails turn out. As if as if the okay. first this is like <laughs> okay first of all what what is it's like always emails any what, way to st- what emails is they he are talking about now that's in the emails there's always an email right was this the hunter biden email still are we going to the 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 blind wilmington computer store employee with the oh, with the hunter biden emails and what is this competition between the inaugural committee and the justice department Rachel, you know these things better than I do. What are they talking? Are they talking about something? What is that? I don't even know. I don't even. I don't even know what he's talking about. I just. It's just he doesn't want to say the words. He's doing <laughs> and he's dancing around the truth, which is like it reminds me. I'm not. I don't mean to go into a whole schmagoo, but like remember when we went to that restaurant in London and like you ordered scallops and they were actually cheese and like the waiter did not want to tell us that they were well, there were, meda- so were like- medallions of goat cheese that to the untrained eye could have been scallops however I would assume <laughs> and we that were like, a kitchen scallops. would have a trained eye <laughs> and we were like these scallops are so interesting like how do you make them and the waiter like did not want to tell us that they were actually cheese and he was like being so far as they are scallops. They are of the sea. They are perhaps not so much insofar as they are scallops as they are cheese. It's like I feel like that's what Kevin Kramer is doing. About okay, so he's uh, he's serving up Biden. cheese cheese scallops to the world. Um, and then, of course, yes, uh, another arbiter of truth is Lindsey Graham, who finally relented and said he had a quote pleasant ten minute conversation with Joe Biden, in which he indicated that he might support some of his nominees to the cabinet, which is very uh, magnanimous of him. But then he said that that uh, Donald Trump had a very, very narrow path to the presidency, which is factually untrue. What is untrue. the path to the presidency? <laughs> right. You can make it as narrow as you no want. <laughs> like, there's absolutely no path. You're not even in the park looking at a path. No, no, no path you're in the wilderness. There's yeah, no path. Just... You're in the quicksand. You're the about only to... path is to like burn down the house. I mean, that's which leads us, which leads coup. us into that's our next, path. our next point. And this is, of course, the great Stephen Miller. And to his credit, he is playing the long game here. So you may have heard he has um, hypothesized, or I guess they're meeting or something, that they're going to have an alternate set of electors. And these votes will be sent to Congress for the January 6th that will, quote, seek to right the wrong of this fraudulent election and certify Donald Trump as the winner of the election. Um, So, of course, everybody came out and said alternate electors. There is no such thing, although that is kind of what happened in 1876 with the election of uh, what's his name? Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes. Um, But there's a reason it hasn't happened since then. And it didn't work then. So uh, that's ridiculous. And then when they said, well, that's really not going to happen, that's not a thing. He said they have plenty of time because the final decision will not be rendered until January 20th when the oath of office is administered. And then I asked, what's going to happen between January 6th and January 20th? That sounds extremely ominous. I mean, Here's my question. What is the strategy here? Because I'm just, I have to assume they're not actually delusional, this delusional, that they're doing this. I mean, I think they are, but I also think they're, are they doing it to just buy more time to figure out like a strategy? Yes, yes, yes. I I mean, and there's nobody in the room to tell them that there is no conceivable strategy and they don't care what they have to burn to the ground. That's why I'm thinking it's dangerous. It's like an armed insurrection. Like I think there, maybe there'll be a call to violence. Of course, they're throwing everything at the ground. They're at the wall. They're throwing everything and seeing what sticks. And the problem is that they've riled all these people up and they actually do believe that there is a path to victory. And when they discover that there is not, that's when I think things are going to get really crazy and we have to be you know ready for it because it's very dangerous he's going to set up a shadow presidency right this is going to be presidency in exile in mar-a-lago um and 70 percent of republicans something like that think the election was stolen or fraudulent so that's going to be his new base fine so he 
can you know deliver speeches from Mar-a-Lago? Like who cares? Like just from we need jail. to just that's where we're <laughs> yeah from, from jail. jail. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No. Shut the shut this down. It's over. It's been over since election day. It's over. I can't let take go. It. Please no, let no. it go. Really How many? Pathetic. It's like it's like when you break up with someone and they just won't accept it. Like, please, <laughs> right. It's time. I mean, I'm kind of amazed. That yeah, is still going on. I, I, in terms of what I thought would happen, I thought maybe, yeah, there would be, I kind of thought like a civil war would start earlier. I thought there would be like <laughs> an immediate call to violence, but this just full-blown like denial. Right. And like and, losing every day and like repeating the loss. It's just like so pathetic. Wait, so you it's thought so it would get worse faster? Like yeah. worse than this? I thought, no, no, no. I was like bracing like, okay, like post election, like the election night and, and the results. I thought that it would... Like they've been pretty pathetic to me. Like I thought that I thought that there's like Trump supporters would be more like openly violent in the streets. I don't know. I just <laughs> so to me dis- they've just you're been disappointed like, in them. <laughs> no, I'm not disappointed. I, what I'm saying is I'm relieved, but I think a lot of them seem to have just been like, eh. Like yeah. like in terms of his supporters, like this, you know, I don't. Yeah. I don't know how many of them. I think a lot of them actually are like accepting he is lost. Yeah, it takes a lot of energy to stay angry. And so hopefully the anger and uh, denial will have a half-life of like two weeks. And then by the beginning of the summer, we'll, it'll be a distant memory. We will revisit There'll be that like prediction. four people who are like <laughs> up in arms, you know? In, Lan- in Lansing, Michigan, <laughs> which somehow became the epicenter yeah. of the Trump revolution. Okay, nope, shut this down. Let's move on to the next topic. Rachel, what do you have? Yeah, so um, this is the most um, pressing issue of our time, which is whether someone with a doctorate deserves to be called doctor, particularly if the person is the first lady. And this is the great debate of the moment, thanks to the always relevant Wall Street Journal editorial page, which decided to use its precious real estate to run a disgusting, sexist op-ed by a man named Joseph Epstein. And it was entitled, Is There a Doctor in the House in the White House? Not if you need an MD, and went on to attack Jill Biden for using the honorific doctor in her name without being a medical doctor. And like, whatever. I mean, there's a long history of people saying, Oh, you're not really a doctor doctor to belittle people who have reached the pinnacle of academic achievement. And it's petty and it's stupid and wrong, given that doctor comes from the Latin word for teacher and teachers were called doctor before doctors were. (laughs) Um, But just to get to the piece for a moment and this asshole Epstein comes out swinging. The first sentence is a total abomination. And he says, Madam First Lady, Mrs. Biden, Jill, kiddo. He calls her kiddo. A bit of advice on what may seem like a small, but I think is a not unimportant matter. Any chance you might drop the doctor before your name? Dr. Jill Biden sounds and feels fraudulent, not to say a touch comic. Well, you know what? Joseph Epstein, I don't give a fuck about your feelings about what feels fraudulent to you. It's so disrespectful to call someone kiddo and to say, I hate when people say like a double negative, like, I think it is a not unimportant matter. Like, just say it's important. Like, go that's, fuck I think, yourself. I actually think knowing you, I think that's your main grie- grievance here. That's double, my main grievance. The double, the double double negative. Negative. <laughs> yeah, so, so like, kind of, I, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, go ahead. I'm just like obsessed with this as the perfect example. Like you could, as a psychologist, study this essay or even just a woman in the world because it's so on the nose of like how a sexist man argues a point. Like it's almost seems like satire, like calling her kiddo in the first sentence, right? And then very quickly, so I'm reading it and I'm like, I'm like, when is he going to make this about him and his own insecurities? Because this is clearly coming from him. He talks about her for one second and then he transitions to, I don't have an advanced degree. Um, (laughs) And talking all about like his history and how like people sometimes call him a doctor because he's a professor and all this stuff and how like, it's like so obvious that he's just projecting. Totally. totally. And I'm I mean, like, I, absolutely. I think, I mean, look, there's plenty of PhDs and other, you know, people with higher, you know, super, I forget what that's called, tertiary, super high education. And some call themselves doctors because they have doctorates and some choose not to. And I think people, if they've earned a degree like that, they should 
feel free to call themselves what they want to call themselves. Like I had high school teachers uh, who there were a couple that happened to have PhDs, my AP physics teacher, and he was Dr. So-and-so. And he wanted to call him that, tell that. And there was another one who had another PhD and he chose not to. So in general, I think people should be called what they choose to be called. What they choose to be called. If they've earned the degree, they've worked for several years to earn this. Like they can be called doctor at work if they want to be called doctor. And like the whole thing is that uh, his argument is really flawed because the bulk of the piece, as you mentioned, is about honorary doctorates and how people with honorary doctorates shouldn't go around demanding that people call them doctor. But like Jill Biden does not have an honorary. <laughs> she probably does, but she also has an actual doctorate. And then he decides to like take a swipe at black women by saying that honorary doctorates are too widely distributed. And if you are ever looking for a simile to denote rarity, try quote, rarer than a contemporary university honorary degree list, not containing an African-American woman woman. What did African-American women do to deserve being included in this shitty essay? This is, it's, it's they're bad. A rarity, like a, they're a, a rarity. rarity. A rara <laughs> the other thing that pisses me off about it so much in, in making Dr. Jill Biden the target, and forgive me if this is, I, I, I heard this fact or read this fact around election and like everyone had brain poisoning then, but I'm pretty sure that she's the only wife of a VP or a president to continue working and not give up. She their is. Career. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So first of all, the argument is bullshit to begin with, but then when you layer on the fact that she actually like never gave up her career and remained an expert and like working in the field that she has the doctor in. So that pisses yeah. me off too. It's not like it's she hasn't done it for 40 years or something. It's like, she's still doing it. And also she's there's still doing it. Also there's yeah. the bias like she's a her doctorate's in education, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's another bias, right? Which is like, it's not a hard science, right? Yes. It's like, oh, education's for the ladies. That's like your kindergarten teacher. So it's not a real doctorate because it's just, you know, you know, school. Um, so that's another one. Yeah. And he rags on her topic of the doctorate saying it's only about like community college when it's like her work is, is <laughs> people are saying that her work around community college is going to be so influential during the presidency because like community college is cheaper and like who knows what's going to happen with student debt and she might play like a huge role in that it's just like uh, i would have i would have made her the, the secretary of education the most of important in american education yeah that's what i'm saying like this isn't yeah. like like actually community college student debt like these are all huge issues there were huge issues in the election so to be like she just did it in education is even more hilarious to me yeah Nope. Nope, Rachel. It's, Thank right. you for... Yeah, so... Sorry. so no. Well, <laughs> well there's up. more. I mean, <laughs> no. you know, I'm worked up. But I'm not like saying the, nope to you, know, you the... I'm saying nope to the topic. Yes, go ahead, Rachel. I want more. Yeah, but the, but the the reaction to the to the op-ed was swift. Northwestern University, where Joseph Epstein was listed as an emeritus lecturer, like dropped him from their website. The English department there denounced it as misogynist, and all these female PhDs started putting their titles and their Twitter bios as a sign of solidarity with um, Jill Biden. But the Wall Street Journal, where I worked for 10 years on the news side would not back down. And um, the editorial side, they're adopting this Trump strategy of no apologies. And the leader of um, of the op-ed page is a guy named Paul Gigot. He's the king of the incels. And he like stood behind the piece and claimed to be a victim of, ca of cancel culture gone wild. He said that the Biden team's reaction to the piece was just like Trump's attacks on the media as the enemy of the people. He ended by saying, like, he wrote his own thing, saying that these pages are not going to stop publishing provocative essays merely because they offend the new administration or the political censors in the media and academia. Attacks on us. Okay. He doesn't know the difference between censorship and legitimate 
criticism and he's casting himself as the victim. And this all sucks. And I just feel bad for my former colleagues on the news side, which is totally separate from the editorial page because it it tarnishes the image of the paper as a whole and you diminish the ability of all these great journalists to do their jobs. So um, this asshole Paul Gigo has got to go. And I hope Joseph Epstein is never allowed to write another op-ed in his life unless it is to apologize for being such an asshole. And by the end, like, and it's not like he doesn't have a platform. He has a fucking Wall Street Journal op-ed page, right? It's not like he's been banished to Elba. Like, he's obviously he has a platform. <laughs> like, just keep writing for that those dingbats over there. Like, I don't know. Yes, correct. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Shut it down. He's always people with like no. the most prestigious and largest platforms that claim that they're being silenced. Yes. Yes. No one will yes. silence us. I nope, we will not be canceled. Yeah. Uh, we they, we have our platform. They always like frame what they're saying is this is provocative and cutting edge. Actually, it's a really, really old argument. There's nothing provocative about it. That's the problem. There's it's just offensive. It's, just it's like not provocative. It's just dumb. Classic <laughs> misogyny. You know what I mean? I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. There's not nothing. It's just there's dumb. nothing. That's enough. Just, you don't, <laughs> just we don't have to go any farther. It's just dumb. Okay, nope, we got to move on. We got to move on. Shut it down. Okay, Okay. Um, next topic. Rachel, this topic arose very organically. Rachel, um, because we... those of you who have been listening know that we had the summer music series where each, each week we uh, selected a preposterously bad music video, usually from the 80s. We talked about the song. We talked about the video. We broke it down. We walked you through it. And we haven't done it for a while. It had to be a limited edition series. Besides, we were running out of songs to talk about. Um, but a little mini version is back uh, for Christmas songs. And Rachel texted me about a song that she had discovered, rediscovered from the 80s, a Christmas song. Well, I rediscovered every year because it's just all over the place and I I hate it. (laughs) So you said this is the worst Christmas song of all time and I said no I have the worst Christmas song of all time so we figured we'd do a worst Christmas song spectacular package and Rachel I'm going to let you do yours first. Yeah so mine is Wham's Last Christmas and I I think the reason why it's so bad is because it's so catchy and it's also so sad so it gets in your head this whole season and it doesn't help that it's playing at every like cvs and like doctor's office and cv and gas station and it it just brings you down so i think we should just um play a clip of it for those listeners who may not know the song So it's annoying, but I never watched the video until recently. And um, it's just truly terrible. It's historically <laughs> terrible. So the big chill 1983, the year above old friends getting together, um, the video opens with a shot of these snow-capped mountains. They're in Switzerland at some ski resort, and you see a, a caravan approaching of four-wheel drive vehicles, and George Michael stops and gets out of like G- a Jeep Cherokee Jeep, uh, convertible with full-on Princess Diana hair, and he's holding hands with a blonde woman who is presumably his girlfriend. Um, he did not come out until the late 90s, so at this point, he was very much like a a huge sex symbol and so he looks up and he sees this gaggle of about six or seven of his friends and they're like up on the ski lift platform and he waves to this woman who's standing with Andrew Ridgely his co-singer in Wham and everybody's wearing clothing that's like four sizes too big and they used enough moose in their hair to fund Paul Mitchell for the entire fiscal year, 1984. And, and so then they're like, then they cut to the house. It's kind of like an Airbnb where they're all staying. It's very Huga. And George Michael is there and he's trimming the tree and he's got tinsel draped around his neck like a feather boa and he's putting it on the tree and he catches the eye of Andrew Ridgely's 
girlfriend um just at the moment the lyric of the song says about something about catching his eye which is you know it's very literal and so he's so rattled as he catches her eye that he drops the tinsel on top of her head and they share this like moment of longing and then you cut out they cut outside to the snow and george michael is wearing like a siberian <laughs> overcoat with a fur hood and he's looking on sadly as like all 15 of his best friends frolic in the snow and throw snowballs at each other and then like it goes to the moment that everyone's been waiting for which is Christmas dinner they're all sitting around this long table in the house and George Michael is staring at Andrew Ridgely's girlfriend and um, she stares back while the camera zooms in on a rhinestone brooch that Andrew is wearing on his lapel and it's upside down and then this sends George Michael on down this rabbit hole and we learn what the song is really about so he he then has like this flashback to last Christmas the oh, title of the song I never got that woman. oh yeah I know it was a revelation and and so he's with this woman he's with Andrew Ridgely's girlfriend and he gave her this brooch so basically when he says last Christmas I gave you my heart the very next day you gave it away he's referring to this interesting piece of jewelry <laughs> that this Wait, woman why is, it, why is it upside down does Andrew originally not know how to wear it is he like a like does he have <laughs> symmetry issues or is it like some kind of fuck you to George Michael like yeah I'll wear this upside it's some down kind of sim I think <laughs> I think it's a symbol. It's a symbol. Yes. Um, he's trying to say, like, I'm aware that this was regifted. And it's like, did this woman think that George Michael would never find out that she regifted the pin that that he gave her to his bandmate? To his I, only this is this is like partner? this is doctorate worthy <laughs> dissertation here because I I must have seen that video a million times I never picked up on that I always assumed when George Michael and he has princess dye hair that's how old I am I still call her princess dye princess dye oh, no, uh, lady dye lady dye hair he like looks up and he has this leer and I always assumed he was leering at Andrew Ridgely who I assume he was lusting after the whole time of Wham. <laughs> Um, but I think not, I mean, and, and Andrew I'm Ridgely is straight. I'm sure that's true. Yes. Yes. That's also true. That's, that's the yeah. method acting he did to get himself in the leering mode, <laughs> <laughs> even though he was supposed to be leering at the girlfriend. <laughs> so yeah, that's terrible. It's a, it's an earworm of a song and a terrible video. And what, one thing when I, I, I just rewatched it and it's supposed to be like, oh, this like friend, old friends reunite for Christmas. It looks like the most boring freaking Christmas I've ever seen. Like it's a bunch of bland people sitting around like it, it like sitting around in like baggy puffer jackets. Like, yeah. What are they doing? Ugh, if that's Christmas, yeah. call yeah. me, call me Jewish. Ah, call me Jewish anyway. It's accurate. <laughs> I want off this train. Yes. <laughs> Get me off the Christianity lift. <laughs> okay so here's mine this is, might be a shocker because this is a real Christmas favorite for a lot of people in the pop music genre so I think the worst Christmas song of all time is do they know it's Christmas by band-aid and um, Rachel you didn't know what I was talking about when I mentioned it which is like uh, a travesty I didn't I, I mean, didn't I went and listened to it and like it yeah I, had, I, mean, I, I also, hadn't heard it I don't think I'd heard it. Oh my God, I feel 100 years old. This was like a formative song of my youth. So this was the original We Are the World. It was a year before, and it was a benefit group, super group thing to benefit um, the famine in Ethiopia in like 1983-84. But I think it is time to retire this racist colonialist anthem. Um, and we'll go into why. So first of all, this thing was such a phenomenal hit. Um, it was organized by Bob Geldof, who is from the Boomtown Rats Band. It was the fastest selling single in UK history. It raised eight, uh, eight million pounds, must have been more than that. And it's actually a great music uh, song lyric, uh, musically. It has like 2000 words on Wikipedia, like people, it's a, an epic song in musical history. And among those participating were Sting, George Michael, aforementioned, Bono, Boy George, Duran Duran, Phil Collins, even David Bowie and Paul McCartney for some reason didn't get solos, but they're in the background in the group shot. So, and the song is so catchy. It's like, is expertly written. And I had never really listened to the lyrics. And now, 35 years later, whatever it is, 40 years later, I did listen to the lyrics and it's an abomination. So, um, 
Let's see. Uh, I'm trying to decide if I should read them or play them. Um, so I'll, I'll read them and then I'll play a little bit. So the first verse is like, it's Christmas and everything is great and, you know, let in light and banish shade. And then they say, <clears throat> but say a prayer, pray for the other ones. At Christmas time, it's hard, but when you're having fun, there's a world outside your window and it's a world of dread and fear where the only water flowing is the bitter sting of tears. Sting sounds that line, sings that line, so that's clever. And the Christmas bells that ring, there are the clanging chimes of doom. Well, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. <laughs> And there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time. The greatest gift they'll get this year is life, where nothing ever grows, nor rain, nor rivers flow. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? And <laughs> and then at the end, they chant, feed the world. Let them know it's Christmas time again. Who the fuck cares if it's Christmas? They're starving. 1.2 million people <laughs> died in this famine. And they're sitting there lamenting that maybe if they just knew that, it was that it Christmas. it doesn't they, snow they, in Africa. <laughs> right, if right. If only it snowed in Ethiopia. Like, right, like if they oh just like God. break out the eggnog, everything would be okay. And by the way, they're not all crap. A third of Ethiopia is Muslim. They really don't care if it's Christmas. And like, it's just assuming like, oh, why can't get over it? Like the British, like stiff upper lip, get over it. Just, you know, have a happy Christmas like everybody. Now, I am not alone in despising this song now. Um, Bob Geldof, the organizer, said, I am responsible for two of the worst songs in history. <laughs> What's the other one? The, he says, the other one is We Are the World, which he was also involved oh, in. Okay. Um, My but favorite thing, this, sorry, this Wikipedia is fascinating because I'd never heard the song, but I think my favorite thing about the song is that they basically they were going to do a song for charity yes. and they were going to do a cover. And then they were like, you can't do a cover because you're going to have to pay royalties. Mm. They're like, oh, <laughs> well, we have this other song we wrote that's like not about this issue at all. And they just like plugged in the word Africa randomly once. So like the song isn't, that's, that's how that beautiful song was made. It's not like they were so inspired by the famine. Yes, yes. So um, there you go. I never thought I loved this song and now I don't. So I'm giving it my nope. Um, and I was going to play it. I'll play it as the outro because it's uh, the outro, which is Feed the World, Let Them Know It's Christmas Time Again is a Wait, great outro. I have, yes. I have a, a little footnote to Do They Know It's Christmas? So yes. as I was researching last Christmas, which came out the same year, I learned something very interesting about Do They Know It's Christmas? So Wham! was invited to participate and Andrew Ridgely blew it off not realizing what a big deal it was and so George Michael's there he has a solo and then like while they were recording he got into a blowout fight with another musician Paul Weller oh from uh, the jam style castle yes, from and the, the jam. jam yeah yes and he was angry about something that George Michael was quoted saying in the press about the leader of the British Miners Union. <laughs> well, that was a big issue. Did you watch The Crown? The miners yes. strike. <laughs> yes. So um, he called, apparently George Michael called him a wanker. Um, and to add insult to injury, do they know it's Christmas was a huge hit that wound up overtaking last Christmas as the most popular song in Britain that season, which really pissed off George Michael. Really? And we came yes. up with these independently. We didn't know how intertwined know. our traumatic 80s musical history was. That's fantastic. Everything that rises much converge so I mean. awesome awesome okay and i was gonna do a yup to a particular christmas song that i think is the best christmas song of all time but rachel i think we should do like an extended segment maybe the last show of the year of like the greatest the like a summer music series like a winter music series and maybe Fine. talk about that and some others okay because okay. we got to get on i really want to talk to alana so um yes. rachel i'll, tur I'll yes, turn it over I to you yeah yeah, so um, we were reading Mel Magazine and there was this great story about this thing called Hustle Husk. And um, I was hoping Alana could elucidate what Hustle Husk is and why it is so important right now. Yes, I'm sorry. That was my dog, you know, sort of scratching. Is that a toy Yorkie? Um, it's a Yorkie, yes. Okay, teacup. Well, Yorkie, I adopted you know. her. She's supposed to be a toy Yorkie, but then... She got double the size, so who knows what she actually is. <laughs> okay, well, I love that's um, my favorite. Anyway, okay. hustle husk, back to it. Yeah, that was um, a term that Joe Longo, our reporter, coined. Um, and it's sort of, 
you know, the male response to vocal fry. If you guys remember that from a couple of years ago. Oh I, yeah. I've been accused of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I think I have it. I don't know. I'm from California. I think we all have it. Um, it's kind of the way the Kardashians talk or a lot of female NPR reporters were constantly getting ragged for their voice. Um, and it's this sort of, is it a verbal tick or I'm not exactly sure how you would describe it, but it's a way of speaking. It's called vocal fry. Um, and a lot of women speak that way and get a lot of shit for it. And um, Joe started noticing the way that these influencers, these hustle bros that are trying to get you to make that money, make that paper, succeed, basically the social media equivalent of Tom Cruise's character in Magnolia, um, they all talk in this specific voice that we're now calling hustle husk. Yes, it's priestly. Um, the article describes it as priestly, throaty, pseudo inspirational and expressing confidence and urgency. And I, I feel like there was no greater example of it than Tom Cruise. Just um, yesterday, that clip leaked of him having a meltdown on the set of Mission Impossible 7 because apparently members of the crew weren't social. I don't know what exactly they were doing to inspire <laughs> such a wild tirade, but um, I, you know, I listened to it and I was like, oh yes, this is Hustle Husk. This is it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he actually is that character in Magnolia and Jerry Maguire. Like you listen to that and you're like, oh, you're not really acting when you play these like psychotic men. Yeah. Let's, right. let's, play, let's play a clip of that because I heard it and I was uh, stopped dead in my tracks. <laughs> You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies. Producers. And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again. Ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. And anyone on this crew does it. That's it. And you too. And you too. And you. Don't you ever do it again. So the thing with these, I read the, I looked at the TikToks in the Mel uh, magazine article, and it's a lot of guys who are like, they're moving product. It's like, hey, my buddy Tony and I thought of this mask, so I filed a patent and I ordered 20,000 and now you can get them. I, I'm not doing the hustle hustle because it's not in me. Um, I don't have the natural talent for it. Um, so why, why is the Tom Cruise in like pure fury mode? Why is he adopting hustle husk, do you think? Oh man, I don't know. And like, there's probably some Scientology connection. <laughs> yes, like, yes. He's trying to like, <laughs> he's doing that thing where he's like trying to like inspire them because there are all these people at home that like don't have jobs and can't pay for their college tuition. But he's also being completely self-serving. I would say that he's the product. He is single-handedly, if you listen to that, he single-handedly is saving Hollywood with Mission Impossible. Yeah, um, I mean- that's that's the like the the uh, messianic. There's a messianic qu quality, there to it, is. right? There so there's is. this Gary V, this Gary Vaynerchuk quote, the TikTok or TED Talk or something that's also in the in the Mail Magazine article, and he gives this thing about you have a four hundred million to one chance of becoming a human being, four hundred million to one. I'm like, what does that even like? So you're special. So you should. You're lucky. That's like the quadrillion, one in quadrillion chance of Joe Biden being the winner of the election. Like, mm -hmm. I, they, they make no sense, right? It's like this. You know, I understand the key to the universe. Yeah. Well, it's like salesmen speak, and I I feel like Donald Trump is kind of also leading the charge with this whole hustle husk speech. He's kind of got a hustle husk. God, you know, thinking about his voice, it just like gives me chills. <laughs> you know who definitely yeah. now, now that I now that I know about it I listened back you know we talked a few months ago about this jawline influencer who has influenced mm -hmm. me and it's about how to have cut your jaw using like various the exercises <clears throat> there's exercises there's devices there's like sucking in your jaw all kinds of stuff and he's just like entrancing and like I don't like worship bros but there's something about him that keeps him on my subscription list and now I realize he's hustle husking yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's buskin and he's huskin. Yes. I love it. I don't want yeah. to say his name. I said, 
they don't get the same reaction as vocal fry. Let me tell you. Yeah, I guess. But uh, it's yeah, a, it, I know. Here we are talking about like how great it is, but you know they should be they should have to deal with the slings and arrows of critics for their hustle husk, which is even worse than vocal fry. It's also very much it's like a tech bro thing, and I feel like it's an extension yes. of Shark Tank culture. Like it you, really you're, is. you got to get up there with your your broy invention pitching. Always be pitching something. Always be pitching. That's the thing. It's like they could be talk. They could be not talking about a product, but it sounds like they are. That's right. That's right. All content yep. is a pitch. Right. How does it feel, Alana? You're actually creating content that is not a pitch for anything oh. but its own content quality. That's How does so that? So freeing, you know? <laughs> okay, well, um, nope to that hustle husk. But segueing into uh, what you do at Mel Magazine, Rachel, I know you have a few questions you've uh, wanted to jump in with to learn more yes. about the magic of a of a relatively new publication that has brightened our days, our internet yeah, days. Yeah, we love it. Um, so where did the where did the name Mel come from? Because uh, Brian and I were joking around. He has an uncle Mel, and I said it's <laughs> from your uncle Mel. Anyway, where, where does it come from? We're asked that question all the time, and it's so fascinating to hear the different theories. Um, some people think it's like Mel, like male without the A, because um, it's about it's a men's magazine. Um, we also did this amazing series when we first started interviewing like just random Mel's across the world, <laughs> like people that have the name Mel, because it's it's like a pretty unique name. But anyway, um, Mel is owned by Dollar Shave Club and the founder of Dollar Shave Club, Michael Dubin, um, when he was before his he struck it rich with Dollar Shave Club, he was staying on the couch of some woman named Mel. Um, that really helped him out and would have long talks with him. And so he named the magazine after her. That's so wow. ironic. So the Mel of a men's magazine is yeah, Melissa. I really or, like that. Yeah, it's that's named awesome. after a woman, which I think is pretty cool. That's incredible. Um, and then like one other thing I noticed when reading Mel, it's all these trends that are going to happen so far in the future. You're so like ahead of the curve. You guys are like living in the future. So what is that like? <laughs> Thank you for saying that. That's actually, it's like a kind of a curse. Like we'll write about things so far ahead that they don't like pick up and then they'll go viral like six months later when a more mainstream magazine, but it's like, we've had trouble with that where we're like, we were too early. Yeah. Uh, which is a good problem to have, I guess. But um, it can be frustrating. But that really is, I think, as our job, especially being like a digital culture magazine, is just sort of thinking, thinking ahead. Like, what's going to be the next Hustle Husk? Now that we've named Hustle Husk, what's the next one? I, I need of? to go to it. And like, as I get really old, like, I feel like I need that for explaining memes to me or mm -hmm. things that I've just seen bubbling up and I have no idea and I'm embarrassed to ask anybody, there's probably a Mel article about it. Yes, um, that's, that's what which, we're here for. And, I and, love other, and other questions, like, you know, questions of the universe, like what are the three calories in Spindrift, right? <laughs> like, like, what are they? Like, there's supposed to be nothing but essence. Like, yeah. Well, we have like a very... Um, Seinfeldian approach to service, like a lot of shower thoughts of just like, what is that? Like, what's <laughs> the deal with that? And turns out a lot of people have those same shower thoughts. Yeah. So what do you think is the most impactful story that you've either written or edited there? Like something that changed the way men think about themselves? That's hard because we've done like so much. It's definitely been my most <clears throat> rewarding job, I think. Um, but I would probably have to say, since I sort of focus on like the long form features, special projects, investigations, and a lot of the more feminist stuff, um, we, when a lot of stuff was going down in the news about abortion, um, trying to find a way in was like super, super difficult, but we ended up doing this big project where all of the male reporters spoke to men all across the country, pro-choice men about abortion and their experiences with it. Um, not because men are, as, as they should be told, not really to have opinions on that, but it was like, how can you better support your partner in an abortion? What's something that you wish you had known about the experience to make it 
um, better for everyone involved. And it ended up being this like this resource that a lot of men, it's like the only thing when you Google men and abortion, um, it's like one of the few resources that comes up. Interesting. So, and, and I've sent that to people who I've, you know, or who have approached me and been like, I'm in this situation and I'm struggling and they can, they can read that piece. So that one, and around that time, we also did a big feature on trans men who get abortions and what's, what that's like. Um, so Amazing. I would say those were kind of my, my most, I don't know, there's too many to pick, but I'll go with those. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, we are, you know, we love Mill Magazine and uh, we will continue to read it and hopefully do segments about the uh, nopes that you bring yeah, up. It's, actually, it's actually very fertile ground. I mean, we all people yeah. ask us, where do we get our topics? And we just say we're avid consumers of news and great users of Evernote. Um, but we're always like at the last minute, we're like, okay, we need one or two more things. Where, where do we go? And now we know exactly where to go and we won't leave it for last. I'll start with Mel. I'm not going to. Oh, Mel. Mel. I was going to say that jaw exercise. I think yes. that was like a piece we did three years ago about people that do that. <laughs> so yeah. I am on the cutting edge of male improvement and I'll send oh. it your way. Thank you. I um, I wish I had learned about him from Mel Magazine. In fact, I learned yes. about him from Clickbait because I was intrigued by a ball a that you put in your yeah. mouth to make a better jaw. And it turned out if you it's know like- what? A, I know we're on Zoom, but you've got a great jaw. I don't know you. you should be worrying about this. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. That's a that's a nope to the hustle, 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 but a big yup to Mel Magazine. Uh, let's move on to some more yups. These are little rays of light, little beacons of hope that gave us uh, some pleasure and delight during the week. Rachel, why don't you go first? And I know I'm going to agree with this one. Yeah, well, because I convinced you to watch it. It's the I think it's the greatest, smartest show on television right now, and I'm very late to the party. Um, what I didn't realize is the first season of the show, Cobra Kai, came out two years ago on YouTube, but then Netflix acquired it, and it became available there in August, which led to this whole surge in interest, and I just binged season one and started season two, and the trailer for season three just dropped, and it looks amazing. And so basically, I, I just, it, like, everyone was talking about it, and it just, like, went to the back of my consciousness because I was like, whatever, what more do I need to know about the karate kid? But this story, it is the story of um, Daniel San's rival, Daniel LaRusso's rival, Johnny Lawrence, 35 years later, played by the same actors. Um, William Zabka plays Lawrence. And where has this guy been all this time? He is so talented. Alana, do you watch the show? I don't actually. Okay. I kind of, it it kind of went over I, I didn't I didn't think it was my kind of show either like Rachel begged me to watch it I was resistant I'm like the la I do not need to live in the Karate Kid universe yeah. um, like <laughs> Honestly, I watched it when I was you're, 14. You're convincing me right it's about masculinity though it's so male oriented it's, and it's like it's it's about um wrestling with the demons of your youth and like ugh. can people really change and uh and this actor th this should win the he should win the nobel prize for literature for this <laughs> he, really, he really should for music he is so great he's so his whole life he's been this like pigeonholed as this character johnny lawrence because it was so iconic he was even in how I Met Your Mother, where he um, had this cameo as Johnny Lawrence. And, you know, he's this is his moment to like reclaim his narrative for Johnny. And it's just like, it's a fantastic commentary on what it means to be a man now versus the 1980s and like how traumatized we, the viewers, were from watching the Karate Kid, which is a very violent movie. So when there's flashbacks, you kind of like feel it in your, you cringe, in your bones. Yeah. 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 So anyway, it's coming out. The season three is coming out on January 8th. So the perfect thing to do over your Christmas holiday is to binge seasons one and two of Cobra Kai. You will not be sorry. Trust me. Okay, uh, my up uh, on a very personal go note goes to my sister-in-law. That's Doug's sister, Terry Gasterland, who was just elected slash selected the mayor of Del Mar, California, which is uh, 
couple of towns north of San Diego. It's San Diego, La Jolla, Del Mar. Oh, sorry. Yes, Dr. Terry (laughs) Gasterland. She is a tenured professor at UCSD and a a doctor. She probably has like five doctorates. She's brilliant. Um, And uh, she didn't run for mayor. She ran for like town city council. And they have one of these things where they rotate into the mayor. Nonetheless, not to take away any of the privilege, she is passionate about certain issues, environmental issues. They have bluffs over the Pacific that are eroding. She's you know, an activist um, in environmental defense there. Um, she's one of the smartest people I know. And uh, for once, somewhere selected a genius mayor um, who's I mean, also a doctor. this is very exciting. You were yeah. you were politically very adjacent to the to the locus of power. <laughs> to the center of power of the northern ex- outskirts of San Diego. And, uh, and I feel very privileged to be that. So congratulations, Terry. You get my Congratulations, yup. Terry. Yes. Okay. Yes, Alana, you. you get a yup also. What's yours? I do. Um, also a TV show. So my coworkers have long been obsessed with Survivor one of the oldest reality TV shows of basically all time. And they've been trying to get me into it because I'm really into reality TV. And I was resistant because I knew it would take over my life. Like I I just started it and like I went through a season in a day. It, okay. Which season? Which season Well, I one? started with 28. Okay. Kage- Wait, did you watch Kageyan? Yes. That's the one, I'm literally watching it right now. Okay. Stop. Stop. Okay, I've watched I've watched every episode of all 40 seasons of Survivor. I've spent hundreds of hours of my life watching Survivor. I am the only person under 70 years old who still watches Survivor I sometimes, can't, I think. Honestly, it is so good. It is, it is so good. And is. I was resistant. I get it. I get it. You know, like let me tell you, try it. Yes, that's a great season. It's got Woo, it's got Chaos Cast, oh it's got Tony God. the Cop, it's got Sarah the Cop. Oh my it's God. got so Okay, this is, now it's, we've really I'm sorry, but it. like, okay, basically, why is it so good? I'm trying to really sell it here. Um, it's really a show about strategy, about, about how to win a game, but I love it because it exists outside the moral universe of, of our, our world. So these like regular people go into this world and it just basically becomes up to them you know, what do I think is right? What do I think is wrong? Um, and then ultimately the group gets to vote on who wins. So ultimately the group decides. So obviously it's just like a metaphor for how society works, but um, it's just so fascinating. And honestly, I'm the least outdoorsy person, but I've like, I want to learn how to do this and apply. I'm not even joking. You know something you can go really? on for, you have unlimited license to talk about. Yup. So we could do a whole, I mean, there's a million survivor podcasts, but like, I want to do a Kageon breakdown just with you because we could do a whole Survivor episode. Yeah, we would lose all day. of our listeners. I know. <laughs> it's like it's like Real Housewives. Like until you yeah. until you watch it, you don't know what you're missing. So, okay. On that note, we will say a huge thank you to you, Alana yes, Levinson. A breath uh, of fresh. Thank you. Thank you for uh, your own contributions and for representing Mel Magazine, which we love and everybody should go visit. We hope you'll come back and join us again. This has been a ton of fun. And thank you to everyone listening. Uh, If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Better yet, tell a person, a friend in person, because that's the real way we get the word out. Thank you for listening. Terrible week to experience wonderful podcasts to record. This has been Nope. The podcast where we shut it down.